0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, the zone. Riley Jensen scheduled to join us here momentarily, our college football insider. And PK, we were just talking about the quarterback battle at uh, BYU. And I talked to uh, Ron McBride about Utah. And before I even asked about the quarterbacks, he goes, I think they're going to be okay at quarterback, but your guess is as good as mine as to who it's going to be. That seems like a real wide-open, legit Contest and who knows, but you're going to be have to be good to win it.
1: Yeah, that's another position there that you want to have some strength. Obviously, you want to have as much strength as you possibly can. Uh, I'm not sure about rising. I mean, the other one, the other kid, uh, Bentley's got more of a track record. Obviously, uh, that, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to win the job, but rising has a lot of high school credentials and all, but he hadn't played in two years. And we've seen a number of kids who have all the high school credentials you could possibly want. Doesn't mean that they're good at the college level. So it remains to be seen. Very intriguing to see how that is going to be. And plus, they didn't have the spring ball. And so that sucks for him or them, I should say, that they didn't get an opportunity to uh, show their stuff a little bit.
0: All right, DJ and PK, time to bring in Riley Jensen, our college football insider on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Riley, good morning.
2: Hey, what's up, you sorry dudes? <laughs> uh,
0: we've, been, we've been talking a little uh, quarterbacks here, uh, knowing you were coming on. And I'm curious, before we get to any of the schools and their, their issues um, and what they've got to sort out here, as a guy who puts on summer camps, you're probably a little biased. But I am curious when you look back at your career, you know, there's whether it's the pros with their mini camps, the colleges with the spring football, and then their, you know, individual quote unquote voluntary workouts and all that. How much do guys really improve in that time? And how much of that is you got time, so you gotta do something. So you do it, but it's not where the real improvement happens.
2: Well, I think it. I think it depends. I think it depends on the on the athlete. To be honest with you, I think I think you get something out of every workout that you do, but I think you have to be a little bit. You have to be intentional about what you're doing. Like there has to be something that you're trying to work on. There has to be some. It can't just be like show up to Mountain West Elite and just have them put me through a bunch of drills. But if you're going through a bunch of drills, but you've really been working on what we call transference, or like keeping the upper half of your body closed while the bottom half opens and you're really working on that and, and trying to get better than you do. But I think, I think for me, the interesting part about the COVID-19 and not having access to weight rooms or maybe not having access to as many opportunities to work out is, is, is the guy that was willing to go and just keep physically in shape and mentally in shape. Cause I, I think that's been the hardest thing for anybody. I mean, people who are working in the corporate world, athletes that I'm working with, is just keeping that routine or some semblance of a routine so that your mindset and your mentality is in the right place. And I I think that older players, you're going to see a lot of the, the older players on teams are going to be the ones that, that were able to keep themselves physically fit and keep their mind right and that sort of stuff. Because I think that's hard as a freshman. I think that's hard. As a, as a younger player in college football to keep your mind right. So these these guys that are a little bit more veteran and understand what it takes to play college football, they're going to be the ones that put the work in, and I think they're going to be more prepared to play.
1: So the world we're living in today, it's a lot of upheaval, obviously, and you've been dealing in the sports psychology aspect of it, and you went and you got all your certifications and everything that you need, and you're you're employed professionally. Uh, at that have you been dealing with any athletes as far as any of this you've already mentioned the, the COVID 19 but also this is the social unrest that we have
2: well the, the the social unrest is just kind of starting to reveal itself there's been both people in the corporate world and athletes that i've talked to just in the last week about it um it's it's we are we are living in some interesting times we are living in a high anxiety situation and we're living in a situation where there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of um expectations that have kind of been um, changed and so working with those people has been really really interesting and i one of, one of the things that's been really interesting to me is just with the covid nineteen I put together this mindset leadership conference and Speaking to some of my African-American friends who are now coaches, it's been interesting as we talk to each other how much, how much we learned in the locker room, how much we learned on how to get along with each other and understand that, that we, we're all the same, right? And, and there's, there's one in particular interview with um, Coach Ricky Brumfield from the University of Virginia who played with me in college. And this is before George Floyd – Right? And before some of this, this social unrest really started kind of, um, uh, revealing itself again, I wouldn't say that it's, that it's, that it's all brand new. And we just talked about how he was from New Orleans and I was from Salt Lake and how we really learned to appreciate each other because a lot of the, a lot of the things we wanted were exactly the same and how we wished that a lot of people were able to have the same sort of experiences that we had and that we were able to grow and progress with each other. And so that's, that's where it's interesting right now is it it feels so divided. And I, and I really do wish I could go back with a lot of people or if there's one wish that I could give a lot of people is to go into a locker room and yeah, there's fights and yeah, there's, there's all kinds of different personalities and races and cultures and all kinds of stuff. But, Man, we seem to be able to figure it out in that little microcosm of a locker room and I think it I think it's kind of encouraging to me. I think we can figure this out, but gosh, it's still it's still there's still a lot of anxiety out there and I think there's a lot of people that are worried about some different things.
0: I've wondered, uh, listening to different people we've had come on the show who have backgrounds in sports, whether it's playing or coaching or both. Um you know, whatever part of their background it is. Uh how much it is the magic of the locker room and the fact that you're in sports where there's a, um, you know, there's, there's competition, there's a winner and loser. It's clearly defined and it takes place in a really short period of time, you know, two to three weeks. And then you go to, and we'll just take me for example, easier for me to talk about me. You know, I go to a radio station, I go to a TV station, they aren't nearly as integrated as a college football locker room is going to be. So is it the fact that it's the sports and you have this goal that's very measurable in the short run that gets people to work together, and that's the magic of sports? Or is it just the fact that a college football team by, um, uh, has just, for a fact, been more integrated than the places I've worked, and that's been what's important, that you had that interaction? Whereas I'm unlikely to have it walking into a, college, into a TV station or a radio
2: station because
0: they're mostly white people.
2: Yeah, I think depending on where you live, it's going to be more integrated, right? In, in Utah, obviously, the, the percentage of African Americans is a little bit lower. There's a high percentage of Polynesian people that are here, and it becomes a little bit more integrated. But I think it's a I, – I would not trade my experience in the locker room because of that diversity and because of the integration for me. I think it was just so valuable for me to understand – and learn that we're all the same and, and and i don't i can't I think the one thing I think the one lesson that I learned from being a college locker room is that I need to be a little bit less offended because there was lots of guys that made fun of me, and there was different things that maybe got under my skin a little bit or whatever else, and to be a little bit less offensive, meaning just not so flippant about my attitudes and about the things that I say, and, and if I can do that now, if I can be a little bit less offended and a little bit less offensive, I think that's a good way to start for me personally. Now, I would encourage everybody else to do that too, but I would never turn in those lessons that I learned in the locker room with a high amount of diversity, figuring out that we all want the same things, we all want to be loved, we all want to have a meaningful life, we all want to have... Um, Good relationships with people and when when we figure that out life becomes a little bit more i guess illuminated or a little bit more brilliant at least in my opinion i mean i have so many good african-american friends from my experiences playing college football and they taught me a lot and and i made mistakes and there there were times where they had to sit me down and say hey you you can't talk like that right and and i'm so thankful for the ability or or for the friends that i had that helped me to grow and progress and to understand better because i did i admittedly i came I, I came from logan utah till i i lived there till i was 14 and then in salt lake from the age of 15 to 18 you know before i went off to college and it's mostly white people and so those experiences i wouldn't trade for anything and i think they're so valuable to the players that are playing at the schools in state and i think um, I would not want to trade those in. And I think that's why I'm, I'm rooting so hard for football to happen this fall. Not just because I love football and I love the experiences that I had, but also because football is a major moneymaker. And and if you have a daughter that you want to run college track or if you have a son that you want to have swim on the next level, you want football to happen. And if you want them to learn some of those experiences that I learned by like being in the locker room with a diverse group of people, you need to cheer for football to happen and to happen with people in the stands and for some sort of new normal to happen because that money has a direct impact on these smaller sports. And we're already seeing Division Two and Division Three sports that are dropping off. You want football to happen. And this isn't just dumb football jock Riley talking. This is a person who cares about my daughter, who I'd love to have an experience to play on the next level. I don't know if she'll ever be good enough, but I'd love I'd love the opportunities to still be there. And so that's why I'm, I'm rooting so hard and hoping so hard for some of these things to happen.
1: So a lot of your experiences that shaped you are basically just based on exposure to other people. And once you had that exposure, did you then discover hey, we're really just the same in terms of we have from different backgrounds, but we all want the
2: same things. Yeah, I, I, listen, I came from great parents who, who, who taught me correctly. I, 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 I didn't feel like I had anything that was like a major problem, but just being exposed to people and understanding that just on a, on a higher level is always valuable, right? Isn't that always just a great thing to have? I, I think my parents taught me really, really well, and I'm thankful for that. But there, it's it's kind of like the difference between reading a book and then going out and practicing what the book taught you, right? You have to put these things into application for them to be valuable and meaningful. And that's where I think the experience in college was so great, was not not just, hey, you should love everyone, you should judge everyone by the content of their character, You should, you should practice the golden rule, Riley. But then I got real experience out there and I got, I got the opportunity to work with so many different cultures and so many different people. And it was such a wonderful thing for me. So there's a difference between reading and learning and then application. And I think, I think college sports was a wonderful place for me to apply the things that I'd been taught growing up.
1: I wonder
0: uh, how much an effort has been made in the past and how much an effort do you think will be made going forward? Uh, Because one thing we've heard about youth sports and the camps you work with deal with high school, but I think you've told me also junior, you have done some stuff for some junior high, you know, kids who are more in that 11, 12, 13 range. Uh, But we've heard how limiting those can be, the socioeconomic factors that end up segregating a lot of those experiences. You know, if you've got to pay... You know, fifty or one hundred and fifty or two hundred and fifty bucks for whatever camp or day or seven on seven league, whatever it is. A lot of kids get left out of that, and those can make those experiences a lot wider and a lot less integrated. How much has been? How much has been done, and how much do you think will be done going forward, so that you don't have to be a college age athlete to have the experience you're talking about?
2: Yeah. So one of the things that's been um, interesting, and I'll just I'll just put on my Mountain West elite hat for right now, right, is Riley Jensen grew up on, on a on a father's salary that was a schoolteacher's salary. I mean, he was the tennis coach for Utah State when I was growing up, uh, when I was younger, and then through my high school days. And after that, he was a schoolteacher. And I, I constantly am reminding the people and my business partners that we can't eliminate the Riley Jensen's of the world who – who grew up on a school teacher salary. Now, there were times where I had to go and I had to get the lunch stipends, right? I had to go get the free lunches. We had to sign up. We had to use, from time to time when my dad was in between coaching at Utah State and being a school teacher, we had to use the school insurance, right? We had to do some of those things. So I'm familiar with some of those things that happen. So when I'm talking to my coaches, I'm like, we can't eliminate the Riley Jensen's of the world who would have loved to have been at Mountain West Elite. The struggle that I have is getting the word out to some of these people who might be in the same position that Riley Jensen was in in high school, who would have loved to have gone to a camp that costs $300 for 10 practices, right? And they just can't afford it, or their parents can't afford it. And part of the struggle that I have is letting people know that there is value to this. What can you pay, right? And then I give out between 78 and a hundred scholarships every year to mountain west elite and so as a result you see a camp that's more diverse you see a camp but i do feel like there are certain things going on out there if if people aren't willing to help that that it does kind of divide it it and it becomes difficult and it's not it's not just for african americans it's not just for polynesians it's for white people too that are in you know different areas that are more tough and We've all got to do our part, right? We've all got to look around for these opportunities to help Um, because we don't want it to be that way. That's not what, uh, to me, that's not what America was based on and founded upon. Uh, And that's just my opinion. Um, Everybody needs to have an opportunity, but I, I do see it. And I, you know, the sport that I see it in the most right now is baseball. I mean, shoot, my kid is, is getting to play baseball for the first time this year and I'm, I'm starting to add up the cost and going, holy crap! You know, everybody's got to have their own helmet now because of COVID nineteen. Everybody's got to have their own bat. Everybody's got to buy their own pants. I mean, all this stuff was provided when I was young, right? And 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 who could afford all that stuff? right? I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate right now that I can, but who knows what tomorrow brings, right? And I'm and I'm ho- I'm hopeful that I can help some other people out and that and that people are willing to help me out if I was struggling.
1: Oh yeah, you bring up baseball now and you look at the college rosters and they're almost exclusively white. And it's a lot of it is right. uh, the financial deal when I was growing up I had season tickets to ASU and, the, and the, the, uh, tons of African Americans and now you just don't see it anymore because it costs too much and a lot of folks can't afford it. And I, I mean I think that's
2: I think that sucks. It does. It sucks. It sucks. That that's not cool at all to me. And uh we got to do something, and I, I think the other thing that, that is important. I, and I think there's in, in psychology they call it self one and self two. In in religion they call it the devil and the angel on your shoulder. But the the angel on your shoulder that should be talking to you is I could do something. What what I some of the things that I'm seeing on TV don't look right. I need to do something right, and so. When, when you feel that, when, when you hear that voice or that, or, or that self too starts talking to you, like you need to do something, don't overwhelm yourself with like, you have to do something incredible to start with. Just start small, start with somebody in your neighborhood, start with um, speaking up a little bit, start with just being the person that you were brought up to be instead of thinking like, Oh, who are you Riley to do anything? Who are you to say anything? Well, uh, right now, I'm trying to listen a lot, but I certainly can do some small things here and there to get going in the right direction. And, you know, the, the old saying is the good Lord can't steer a parked car. If you just park, you're not doing anything. It's hard to It's hard to steer you in the right direction. So I'm trying to do my part. I hope everybody's trying to do their part. We can do better. You can do better. I can do better. And, man, let's just. Let's try and let's try and get through this and learn as much as we can. At least that's my thought. Riley, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Sorry we didn't get to football. But uh we'll, we'll have you on again I and we will get to football. These, some some of these things are, are super important to talk about.
0: Thanks, Riles. Thanks, guys. All right, there's Riley Jensen, college football insider, Mountain West Elite founder, and uh he's done a lot of high school coaching, but he's uh Taking his foot off the gas there. He's not going to be uh, coaching. We'll see if that's a retirement or a pause. He did some workouts this morning, see, apparently. See how that. It is the workouts, but I know he's not coaching. Yeah, he's not coaching right. at he's the still, high school level. Right, he's not coaching at the high school level. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone.
3: And now, attention. Top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 the zone and the zone sports network.
0: NBA Board of Governors voting. 29-1 to approve a 22-team format to restart the 2019-2020 NBA season in Orlando, Florida. Only the Blazers voted against the plan. July 31, the games will start. Teams will begin training in Orlando between July 9th and 11th. Major League Baseball, the players will not take another pay cut. And it was and rejected the league's plan to begin the season, according to a statement Thursday from Union Executive Tony Clark. Also, the vast majority of college athletic directors who responded to a poll do not believe the NCAA is capable of policing a potential future market for college athletes making money from endorsement deals. 85% of the respondents were not confident at all in the NCAA's ability. top of the wire is brought to you by syringa networks home to complete business telecom and it solutions backed by an industry leading sla that guarantees the uptime your business needs it's effective communications for 21st century utah get started now at syringanetworks.net
3: take the zone with you wherever you go let's go download the all-new zone sports network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show
1: I know there's not much that I can say that would make things any better right now, but I just want you to see in my eyes how sorry I am for the comments that I made yesterday. I know that it hurt many people, especially friends, teammates, former teammates, loved ones, people that I care and and respect deeply. That was never my intention. I wish I would have laid out what was on my heart in regards to the George Floyd murder. Ahmaud Arbery, the years and years of social injustice, police brutality, and the need for so much reform and change in regards to legislation and so many other things to bring equality to our black communities. I am sorry, and I will do better, and I will be part of the solution, and I am your ally.
0: DJ PK, that is Drew Brees, the Saints quarterback right there. Time to recap all the stuff we've been talking about. And it is brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. There's a lot of stuff to unpack there, PK. At the start, he's talking about uh, there's not a lot he can say. It's going to come down to actions more than words. And I'm really uh, curious uh, for all of us, for the country, where this goes going forward. Because we've seen events like this, uh, maybe not nationally on this scale. I guess they have to go back and, and measure them all. But certainly, because we both lived in California, we know about the rioting after uh, Rodney King and after the um, decision and the officers were acquitted. And we know about uh, Ferguson and Baltimore and, you know, other uh, riots over time. But when has it led to change? You know, we've had people on our air saying, is it going to be different this time? Is it going to lead to change? And I've heard people say it feels different now. But what kind of change is that going to lead to? And I know we're supposed to have opinions and answers, but I don't know what the answer is. I don't see how I'm supposed to be able to predict the future on this
1: one. Yeah, good luck on that, man. (laughs) I I can't change anything. All I can do is change myself and improve myself and hope everybody else does the same and hope I get better. That's all I can do. I don't know what type of change it's going to be. I, I I just don't see it. I've been, I've been talking about race for years, and I know people didn't want to talk about it. And now it's coming to pass. And Got to have open, to honest discussion from all aspects. Not just one thing that, that looks good and is in the moment, but everything that's good. What's, what's best for all of us? Because I really believe, as Riley Jensen was saying, I believe all of us. You know, we all have different experiences for sure. There's no question about that. But I believe we all want the same out of life. I mean, who doesn't want to be happy? Who doesn't want to have a nice family, and have nice employment and all the things that are out there? You know what I mean? It just seems like we all want the same thing it, when you boil it down to its essence. Now, how will we go about getting that same thing? And remains to be seen who has advantages and opportunities to achieve that. It's a very complex issue in all that is involved So I can't answer all those things. But I do think when people say, you know, we all want the same and we are the same, we have different experiences for sure. But I do think all of us do want the same, the basic core out of life. We want to be happy. Also this morning, the other big
0: topic is finally official. There weren't a lot of surprises mixed into it, but the Board of Governors, 29 to 1, with only the Blazers voting no, 29 to 1 to approve the restart Training camp in Orlando, July 9-11. to 11. The season starts the 31st. Still not exactly sure the de- some of the details here as far as how you're all able going to be uh, watch it and consume it. I think it's going to be a mix. Uh, we were talking about this with David Locke of regional sports networks, and they got to get to the 70 games to get the, the money for the season from those networks. And then obviously ESPN and TNT are going to be taken care of. And some of the games... You know, it could be locally telegassed some places and still available to us on one of the ESPN family of networks. But it's back, and it's going to look, uh, the word you seized on earlier this morning was Joe Ingalls and weird.
1: Yeah, Joe has talked about how it's going to be weird, and I get it. It's going to be weird, but I'm looking forward to the weird.
0: (laughs) The weirder the better.
1: No, not, I'm not saying that to that extent. I wouldn't go that far. But it is going, it's going to be different. Maybe you know, weird might be too strong, but it's certainly going to be different. But for me, it's not a labor-induced difference, and I really appreciate that. It is a situational-induced difference. So let's see if we can have some fun with it and players and come back and, and just being out there playing ball. It's just part part of what we do in our in our lives, and really in basketball, it's worldwide. But certainly for our country, it's something that we do and something that we enjoy. At least I do, and I'm excited for it to come back. And I don't really care about legacy this time around. This is like the I've been preaching for years to keep your sports in perspective because I think I don't do many things well. I hardly do anything well, but I think it's one of the things that I do well is keep sports in perspective and recognize them for what they are, which is entertainment. And maybe this opportunity that we have here going forward, we can see that. And we won't have fans yelling at players and all these things that go on and just seem so over the top. We can just enjoy it for what it is. That's what I'm looking forward to, and I'm excited for when it returns because I enjoy watching people compete athletically. Obviously, I do. This is what I do for a job. I'm so fortunate to have it. And so I am anticipating that that's the way it's going to be. And I'm not concerned, well, does this count on LeBron's uh, title ring ladder and Kawhi going to get another one? But well, I let that for other folks. I'm just enjoying it and just going to watch it and, and take fun in the moment and enjoy it as it comes.
0: So uh, I was a little surprised when I saw the date that it's not until July 9 to 11, but apparently the hang-up there is bringing international players back in quarantine and quarantining them for 14 days as they come in from wherever in the world they're living, uh, you know, South America, Europe, wherever. Uh, so that's part of the delay here in getting it going, and one of the reasons that they're going to be going until October 12th. Although they did say, you know, in the past, if, if one team wins a conference final in four games and another wins in five, they would wait for a specific date, and they're going to be trying to be aggressive, moving, you know, keeping the rounds close together and not having a lot of downtime between rounds. You know, if you're waiting for someone to finish a seven game series, then you've got to wait. But otherwise, try to uh, speed it up and create a little more offseason. The draft is going to be October 15th, free agency the 18th. Um, we've been over this a lot. You know, This is not a big free agent class. And now with the revenue being restricted, there's going to be probably less movement than ever. So not a huge class, but October 18th for free agency. And then December 1-ish, the start of the next season. So there'll be a little bit of an offseason, but not much. Let- yeah, and that's going to be weird, too. I know it will be less of an off season more of like some kind of massive all-star break or something.
1: Uh, yeah, if you look at it that way, I see where you're going. Yeah. And that that'll that'll present some circumstances that I don't think we can anticipate right now and they will play out when they play out. So, and how they play out. But yeah, that that's I like the fact that you know we've waited For so long now, we're coming up on, uh, what, three months in a week or so? And then I see this light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, and then it's going to happen, and then we're going to have a bunch of stuff. You know, it's like put in the work before. You tell your kids, hey, now is the time to do the work. You reap the benefits later. You know, you go to school, get yourself your education, blah, 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 and you can reap the benefits down the road. So in this way, it's a little bit of the same. We've waited so long to have this. And then when we get there, we're going to have a whole bunch, and we can reap the benefits of our patience waiting for all this stuff to start. And then when the NBA starts, it's going to be all this stuff. And it's going to seem like it's going to be almost like every week is going to be something different, really, right up until the start of next season.
0: Should point out that December 1 date is now, uh, they're saying that that is likely beginning December 1. So. Uh, right from the get-go, the league's making sure that nobody's counting on that. It's uh, subject to negotiation with the Players Association, and they'll try to figure that out. They've got training camps on the 10th. So if, you play in, if you're in the finals and it does go seven games and it is October 12th and you're back at camp November 10th, that's less than a month for those two teams. Now, obviously, you know, if you're out in the second round, now you're looking at two months. Uh, if you're out in the first round, you're looking at two and a half. So it turns into a little more of a normal season. Uh, when you consider that six of these teams will be in for 16 days, eight games, and then they'll be gone because they won't make the playoffs. And then uh, and then they'll start knocking out teams from there. Uh, we talked a little bit about baseball. Is it, uh, is it posturing or is it really that uh, kind of doomsday stuff for baseball? Because the uh, it seems like the owners and the players now both said, well, that's it. This is our final offer. Uh, there's still time for another offer if you change your mind and want there to be.
1: Right, right. That, I I sort of think that I don't know it for sure, but I sort of think that's where we're going. And it's you know I, I quoted the old Yogi Berra thing earlier. It is it, it's not over till it's over, and that's sort of the way I view this thing here. Until they absolutely say that's it, forget it. See you about next year. I'm gonna anticipate that there's some form of posturing going back and forth. Maybe not, but that's where I'm at right now.
0: Uh, this tweet came out right about 9 o'clock from the – I follow the Padres uh, beat writer from the San Diego Union Tribune on Twitter, Kevin Acey and he tweeted out this. He says, uh, Anyone paying attention to labor negotiations over decades has heard about deadlocks, impasses, et cetera, yet deals get done. Optimism expressed right. by multiple people over the past few days suggests MLB will hold a season that begins in July. Still – This has been a bad look for both sides.
1: Uh, Okay, yeah,
0: I can see that. So, as far as uh, if you're a baseball fan, how much pessimism you have, how much optimism you have, you know, people will say stuff off the record and whisper it to a reporter they trust. And uh, you always talk about that, PK, like just things you know you can say and things you know you can't say. And uh, Kevin Acey isn't telling us who it is, whether that's a a player or an owner or some front office person who's heard something. Uh, But... There's what he there's what he thinks. And he's been doing it a long time. He was a Charger Beat Rider before he's the Padre beat rider. I don't even know how long he's been there, but years and years. All right, that's the stuff we've been talking about. Anything else we hit this morning you want to hit on? No, it's good. All right. It's all brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler Jeep Dodge, Raymond Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMdeals.com. Your feedback coming up next.
2: And that's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go! The
3: Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott.
2: Sam Amick from The Athletic.
0: Sam, are you excited? The NBA, it's coming back. We've got a plan. They say they have a plan. I don't think I'm excited. Maybe I'll get there. I'm nervous. I think there's a lot of reasons to be nervous. On the one hand, I don't want to lie and and not admit that last night when I wrote
1: a story that was about basketball for the first time in quite a while, I enjoyed it. But then once I got to the end of the column, it just kind of came crashing back down on me again that it's just, you know, these are different times. So, I, just, I hope that uh, if they do get to a point where they're going to pull this off, that it's safe and people stay healthy and it doesn't end badly here.
3: The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time for your feedback, brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only three fifty nine dollars per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State Street or audisaltlakecity.com. Your feedback. You know, some of, some of these questions that we get are tough. Some are easy. Some are funny. Some are goofy. Some are offbeat. Here we get a question, PK. This one's easy. What? Brad, why did Orlando land both the NBA and Major League Soccer? Someone needs to share the wealth. How about Phoenix? How about Vegas? How about Texas? Well, Brad, Disney owns a massive self-contained resort in Orlando. And Disney owns ESPN. And ESPN televises the NBA and Major League Soccer. So you got money, slash partnership, slash
1: relationship, slash self-contained resort.
0: And you got a deal. There it is.
1: Yeah, that's obvious and I hadn't I did not realize I've never been to I've been to Florida north and south, but I've not been to Orlando. And I did not I did not realize how massive this property is as you say, 40 square miles. It's just unbelievable. I mean, I've been to Disneyland a million times and you know all these other attractions, but man, that really takes the cake in size and then you factor in the connection there financially. And so yeah, you're going to want to take care of, you know, you take care of me, I'll take care of you type thing. So I get where or why they did what they did.
0: It's uh, it's an easy thing. I read several things on the NBA settlement last night. So Locke was trying to hit me up earlier on which writer wrote which detail. You know, the 88 games, the regular season games were $300 million. And, and I read stuff from multiple people, and I can't remember which is uh, from which. But one of the stories – Went into the personal relationship between Bob Iger, the guy who runs Disney, Chris Paul, who runs the Players Association, and Adam Silver and Iger, who Adam Silver, obviously the commissioner. And so it's not just that there's business relationships, there's personal relationships. So when Iger says, Hey, and and, you know, you already have a relationship with someone, you've known them for years and years, and you say, I got a bunch of hotel rooms like how many lock uh uh, was telling us like 30 major hotels and it's completely privately owned so we're going to do a better job with a bubble than you're going to do in vegas if you have to move between a hotel and the thomas and mac you know maybe if you keep it all in one hotel but then you'd only have one court and we got multiple courts You know, so it is a perfect situation. But when you throw in the money, the partnership and the personal relationships on top of it, it was always going to be Orlando. It's amazing that we thought it was going to be for Vegas as long as we did. And we haven't thought that for quite a while.
1: Absolutely. It's been several weeks. I think they could have made it work in Vegas. But it appears, having not been to Orlando and been to this site and been to Vegas a million times, have a personal reference. I don't have a personal reference in Orlando. So I'm going to have to rely on what other folks are saying. And it seems like this is a little bit better. But I do think it could have worked in Vegas.
0: Having been to Disney World, I can tell you it's just a
1: massive – it's its own entity. It's, its own deal, yeah. Yeah, 20 square miles or something like that. Crazy.
0: Uh, Robert uh, tweets at us, at least MLB is trying to make home field advantage a reality if the players and owners can strike a deal. I think they can. I think it's in best, both their best interests. Obviously, there's a bad blood, and they don't have the relationships that seem to exist in the NBA. Uh, but I think they can overcome that. They've overcome it before. And, and I think the interesting thing is here, you know, playing in front of no fans. Again, that was something we said three months ago when we knew less than we know now. But, you know, if you've got a 40,000-seat stadium and you've got personal reference, PK, because you've been in so many of them. I've probably been in about, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them, something like that. Uh you know, it's like, well, you can obviously safely put in 50 fans. And if you put in 50, can you safely put in 500? And they're, they're going to be the people who are paying the most money. You know, if if some family's sitting out in, in left field and another family's sitting out in right field and somebody's got a luxury suite, obviously they're separated. And that's totally safe. So by going to the home field, Major League Baseball – can squeeze a little, bit of more, a little bit more money out of this. Now, is the number 500, is it 5,000, is it 15,000? You know, I don't, I don't know. They're going to have to figure that out. And from what we've heard from college athletic directors, they're literally mapping the stadium. Bathrooms, entrances and exits, you know, it's going to be different. Wherever your seats would be, you'd have to go through a specific entrance and exit. But that seems like a small price to pay to get some slice of normalcy back in our life. And to make these things economically more viable, because they employ a lot of people. As Riley said, there's scholarships and sports riding on this down the line. So that's a small price to pay if that's what you get back.
1: I, I think, though, for baseball, you're going to have to cap the number of foul balls you can get
0: in this situation. <laughs> so one night, we're up at my aunt and uncle's in Reno. And at that point, they didn't have Triple A ball. At that point, they had a uh, Class A. I think they had a California League team. And there were probably uh, 400 people at the game, and I and there were probably about ten of us in our group that went there, extended family and everything, and racing after multiple foul balls. I got three. Like, well, yeah, but the stadium's empty; it's not the same deal.
1: <laughs> I had a couple cousins who were just going nuts; they're running all over the place. My wife did get a foul ball in in Arizona. Oh in yeah, a big league game. Yeah. It landed, she kind of uh, moved up a little bit, and it landed the little space right between where the concrete would be and the back of the seat. You know, there's probably about, I don't know, six inches before the, you know, and it starts to go up because it, You know, it's an amphitheater-style seating. So it landed right behind and then was right at her feet. And then one time we were over at Colorado because we've gone over there several times just for a weekend to watch games. And the seventh-inning stretch, the uh, hometown announcers, they chuck out uh, peanuts when they sing uh, Buy Me Some Peanuts and Cracker Jacks. Uh And and she caught a uh, bag of peanuts. We got that. Nice. And one time in Pittsburgh – we're in Pittsburgh sitting there, and guy caught a foul ball, and we were talking, and he knew that we weren't from there, so he gave her the foul ball. So we've gotten a bag of peanuts and two foul balls.
0: Oddly, I want the bag of peanuts the most. That's weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, they threw right to her, and she just reached up like a freaking first baseman and just snatched it out of the air. Boom, right into her hand. So, yeah, we had a whole bag of peanuts to enjoy in the bottom of the seventh and then the eighth and the ninth. I had a foul ball
0: rolled to a stop underneath my chair at Old Comiskey Park. It hit the, we were sitting down the right field line, and the ball got fouled off and it came it was coming towards us, but it was dropping, and it's it hit a section um, closer to home plate than us. And a bunch of people reached up, and I couldn't tell whose hand it hit or if it hit several of them, but it took a big carom and went two sections, it went right over our head to the one beyond us, further down the right field line. And I turned, and people reached for it, and it hit their gloves and came bounding back towards us, and it was on the aisle behind us, and there was nobody sitting there, and it rolled down underneath the chair. And uh, there were people scrambling behind us to get it, and I reached down and picked it up. It's lying in a 7-up cup. Not the dramatic one-handed grab I would hope for, but, you know, it was one.
1: So Trevor Riley tells a story. I think it it's either the Dodger Stadium or down at the old. Uh, I assume it's Jack Murphy, not the new ballpark, where he was in San Diego because he's from that area. And he reaches up, catches it barehanded, nice. chucks it back out on the field, and they eject him. What? What? Yeah. Wow!
0: That you know that does sound more like Jack Jack Murphy then, because that wasn't throwing the ball back wasn't always a thing. I mean, it's really common now. You see it all the time well, on a home run. On a home run. This was a foul when ball? A visit,
1: yes. This uh, uh-huh. visiting team hits the home run. The crowd encourages you to chuck it back. And we know in Wrigley and other places right. they do that. No, I believe this was a foul ball. Huh. And I have to double check. But uh, he was yeah, substituting one morning for you. And I I, want, I, if I I may be inaccurate on the story. If I am, I apologize. But I'm trying to recall. And I think he said that. His, he's an Uncle Rico type who can throw the ball over the mountains.
0: Well, he threw that football. We all remember South End Zone, right? Yes, he and what it did
1: right is the because they clinched the win, and I think he was done there, and they finished a the five and seven season. What people don't remember is that he ran all the way around and then caught it. DJ and PK,
0: we are out of time. We'll leave it there. Hanson Scotty will come up next. Stay with us.